Welcome. Uh, this is uh, an unusual moment for me personally. I'll be sharing from my heart in just a moment. But uh, 38 plus years in ministry, uh, this is my last full sermon. I will be speaking in a couple of weeks uh, for communion. Uh, next week we have uh, a good friend of mine, Pastor Isaiah Merriweather, coming to us from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and uh, sharing with the congregation what this transition will be like as Pastor Joel onboards. He's starting here November 1st. But for me, 38 years standing beside or behind uh, in the original years in the 80s, it was called a pulpit. It was large. It was made of wood, right? And he kind of protected us from you guys, right? Bulletproof. And then, of course, being more contemporary in the 90s, we went with the plexiglass all clear, right? So it was fully transparent, and you could see everything that was going on. And now we have uh, digressed uh, to the iPad stand. Um, so I guess that's progress. But uh, 38 plus years of teaching and proclaiming God's word. Amen. Have you found that God is good? Yes. Yeah, yeah, he is. And that will never change and he will never, ever fail. And so it's my delight uh, to bring to you this, this last message. These past weeks I've been going through some of my favorite sermons from the past uh, 38 plus years. And I appreciate you bearing with me as I've recounted some of those very special memories for me. And so uh, I want to talk about prayer. I want to talk about prayer in my last full sermon uh, and the importance of prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but I've learned far more about life from the school of experience than I ever did from a classroom. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Uh, the most important lessons of life I've learned weren't from studying, but simply living life out there in the real world. That's where our faith has got to be real. And so it is when it comes to spiritual growth. Jesus was about to depart the scene, and he uh, chose the apprentice program and on-the-job training to communicate to those who would follow and so, Lord, teach me to pray has been a constant quest and a personal prayer request in my own life. Lord, teach me to pray. It is so vitally important uh, for success, uh, for overcoming, for victory, uh, for endurance and perseverance in the Christian life. And I think you found that to be true. His disciples asked the same thing, Luke 11, 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. I think this is significant. It's one of those verses that has helped shape my life over the years. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. His disciples saw what he was doing. They also saw the power that came from being spiritually connected and directed by his father. And so they ask of him, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Teach us to pray as well. And over the years, I've discovered the most about praying by just praying. Not from reading a book, although those are important. Not from prayer seminars or prayer classes, which I've taken. But learning to pray comes simply by praying. Anywhere, everywhere, all the time. 
God has used many others to teach me to pray over these last years. Perhaps, though, this morning we might learn together. We might learn together from a very personal message from my heart entitled, Lessons I've Learned About Prayer from My Son, Jer. Now, some of you have met our 44-year-old son, Jeremiah, our firstborn. He has lived far away the bulk of his life, spending 20 years in Oregon. He's also been far from God, far from us, uh, as each of us have been. Each of us have been. Yet, from his conception until today, God has used my son to teach me about prayer. So I want to share some of those lessons that I've learned. If you have sermon notes, I'd like to follow along. I think these are important points. If you need a set of sermon notes, would you kindly lift your hand and we'll make sure we get you those, all right? Here comes Nate. Good job. Nate's still sporting the shorts and t-shirt, resisting till the end. That's good. That's good. <laughs> So these are some lessons my son has taught me about prayer, my firstborn out of my five children. The first, if you're filling in the blanks, is the miraculous answer to prayer. The miraculous answer to prayer. Now let's think about this for a minute. Way back in 1978, Jer was just a baby as I was in my walk with Jesus. I had just been a believer for a few months uh, when Jer came into our lives. Yes, that is me, and no, I don't have those pants anymore, all right? So, <laughs> here's the situation, right? 1978. 1978. I have a new faith. My life is being completely changed, radically changed, and God then drops our firstborn into our lives. Well, it wasn't very long before Jer spiked a high fever. We took him to the inner city uh, emergency department, emergency room back then in Akron, Ohio, uh, where I came to know Jesus and where Jer was born. And so as I held my fever son in my arms, I, I called out to God. I'm a new believer. God, help my infant son. I, there's nothing I can do at this point. And as I prayed immediately, and it was immediately, he began to grow restless, and he began thrashing his arms and his legs. And it wasn't because of pain. You see, he wanted to get out of there because he wanted to play. He wanted to play. And so in that instant, God taught me much about the power of prayer, the power of prayer. My new faith needed a direct and a supernatural answer to prayer. I was a baby Christian. Here's my baby son. God put it together. God loves to give us good gifts. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here's a paraphrase from the message. Let's walk right up to him. And get what he is so ready to give. I like that. Take the mercy. Accept the help. And I needed to do that. Turn to God first in any and every situation. And so God was using my son to teach me 
about life and about the importance of prayer. And so we left that ER without ever seeing a doctor, but we had kept our appointment with a great physician. And prayer was the difference. So uh, let's move forward. Let's talk about the powerful answer to prayer. The powerful answer to prayer. It was time for God to use my son again. Uh, in a very profound way. I was a new pastor in my first church. I was learning to pray, and God was continuing to prepare my own heart for a new level of understanding about prayer. It was summertime at family camp. Doug, where are you? Doug, you remember family camp? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a time uh, of gathering uh, for pastors and missionaries and lay folk, and we'd all get together for a week and go into camp kind of setting, and we would fellowship and feed from God's Word together. It's a different day today. Not saying that was right or wrong, it's just a different day today. And a generous family had lent us their camping equipment, was, which was a perfect fit for our family, which included now our second son, Nathan. So we took the two boys and we go to family camp, right? It's time for another lesson. Jer came up from playing at the lake and he was not feeling well. There is Jer going down the water slide, right? Okay. And so he was having just a great time. Uh, but he came up from the lake and he said, uh, Dad, uh, Mom, I'm not feeling so good. So we laid him down and uh, Cindy uh, took his temperature and it was over 103. And so we knew at that point something was significantly wrong. As I sat on the bed uh, with my little guy, he suddenly said, Dad, can you see that? He said, there's a demon on my shoulder, and he's making me sick. Huh. He said, Dad, pray, send it away. I was stunned. I was stunned. Cindy and I prayed, and God heard. Within minutes, Jer got up as though nothing was wrong, his fever broken, and he went back down to the beach and did that. You see, God is sovereign, and he's waiting for us to connect with him in prayer. And he used my son in that incident to show me the power, the absolute power of prayer. Here's what the word of God says. Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Just call to me. Just call to me. And so I knew my firstborn son in that moment was able to see things that I couldn't see. And they were very real to him. And he had a spiritual depth to him that was very, very unusual. But God was teaching him to pray. And so as I asked my son about permission to share this message. I said, I'm going to send you a manuscript so you can read it and look at it and make sure it's accurate and uh, we're both on the same page. And as we began to talk, we had this conversation. Well, if you approve of it, how about we do this 
together. And you tell your side of the story. I was like, whoa, whoa. You see, I've not been on the platform with my son since about 1992 in a church over 30 years ago. And so Jared said, sure, Dad, I'll do it with you. So I'd like us to give a warm arise welcome to my oldest son, Jeremiah. Hear me now. Excellent. Good morning, everyone. Good to be here and tell my side of the story for once. Uh. <laughs> that is true. I want to talk to you about now the instant answer to prayer. The instant answer to prayer. If you're following along in your notes, we're going to talk about the instant answer. Let's jump forward. Uh, Jer is now a teenager. We have experienced several moves in ministry. And those were not easy for Jeremiah as God moved us. And he's, at this point, struggling to find his own relationship with Jesus. We understood he was very spiritually perceptive. And he really had a heart for hurting people. And as he wrestled with God... Uh, he took advantage of opportunities uh, to uh, build his own relationship with God. He understood very clearly it's got to be his faith and not mine and not mom's. It had to be his. And so he decided to attend a weekend teen retreat for spiritual renewal. And uh, he went to that treat expecting to uh, encounter God and to develop a relationship. But uh, Jer, something else happened at that retreat. Yeah, so I decided to go to a retreat and searching as a teenager, trying to find my place in life. Where to go? What am I supposed to do? Trying to differentiate my faith from my parents. What is church? What is God? And so I decided to go to a very spiritual retreat and went out. It's it's far from town, in the woods, bunkhouses, cabins, that type of thing. And it was going really well. It was a really fun retreat to start out with. Um, made some friends. I, was, I met the counselors at prayer, and um, everything was going good for the first day. Um, then uh, second, second day, second evening, I believe it was, uh, we went into a, a ceremony um, of giving up or admitting sin or giving something you're shameful of, giving back to God, and you write on a piece of paper and then go and burn it in a fire. And at this point, I started to notice um, these noises, loud noises that sounded like, you know, it's a building about this size, and it sounded like people were running across the roof at this point. Pop, 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 pop. You know, then I started to hear what sounded like branches, you know, kind of on windows, like. And this noise kept getting resonating louder and louder and louder, and I was looking around wondering why nobody else was hearing this. And at this point, we were kind of in a, a, there was a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, counselors praying with people, people crying, uh, a lot of souls being saved, people coming to Christ, uh, the message being heard. And all I was uh, picking up on was the spiritual war that was happening around me and the sensations of 
demons coming to attack, angels defending us for that moment. And I became very, very afraid. Not because of what was unknown or the spiritual war was because I've had previous experiences with angels and demons and uh, other ethereal forms before this. And I knew the effect that they can have. So I decided to leave. I took off. I'm out of here. Grabbed my stuff, started in a direction home. Well, I didn't know where it was. I didn't, no idea. You know, I wasn't driving at this point. And so I just kind of picked out the brightest glow in a distance and started heading that way across empty cornfields and muddy stuff. Um, throughout my life, I've had uh, a couple of angels that will guide me and be with me. And they were with me through this physically, um, keeping me from falling into a flooded creek. Um, guided me down the roads I needed to get to get back to the city, to get back to home. And the entire time, it's raining, and it's October like this, so it's, it's mostly freezing rain. And I think it took me about probably six or seven hours to get home, covered in mud, completely worn out. I walk in the door, let my parents know I'm home, and I went to bed out. So it's Sunday morning, right? And I'm getting ready for church, and here's my son completely covered in mud. He had walked 11 miles not knowing where he was or where he was going, but he found his way home. And at that point, I had a decision to make. What would I do? He's giving me this weird story about demons on a roof and angels walking beside him, and I'm like, okay, really? But I believed him. And I asked God for wisdom. Should I take him back? to the retreat to finish, or should I let him stay at home? What should we do? So he woke up and he cleaned up and we talked and he wasn't sure what to do either and we got in the car and I drove him back to the retreat. And just before I got to the camp, I pulled off the road and he was sound asleep, fully reclined in the passenger seat. And I did something that I don't do very often. I asked God for a fleece, just like Gideon. And I said, God, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. This is weird. And if you want Jared to go back, waking up now. What happened, Jared? And while I was sleeping, an angel came to me in my dreams and said, wake up. I immediately woke up and looked over at my dad, kind of startled because it was like a rough awakening, abrupt awakening, something that abruptly woke me up. And he looked at me, put his hand on my knee and nodded. And uh, away we went back to the retreat. <laughs> yeah. And that was weird because as soon as I had finished praying, his eyes popped wide open and he sat straight up. It was like, whoa, this is really <laughs> freaky. But we're talking about the instant answer to prayer. The instant answer to prayer, right? And so God was using my son to teach me about prayer. It was a profound moment. He finished the retreat, and I, I, I'm here to say God's guidance is just a prayer away. Here's what Isaiah said. I will answer them before they even called to me. Isn't this mind-boggling. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. That is the instant answer to prayer. Have you experienced that? Yeah. Ah, oh, yes, it should be regular. Before we Amen. even voice our need, God 
has sent the answer. Okay, let's move on. How about the unanswered prayer? The unanswered prayer. Sometimes, as you know, prayer is not a sprint, but it's a marathon. And some of you have been praying for loved ones and situations for decades. For decades. I want you to know we get that. This is a harder lesson. Now Jer is nearly 20. He's blazing his own trail. Drugs and alcohol and a felony charge has ravaged his life and our life as a family. Cindy and I saw him taken away in County Orange Jumper with handcuffs and ankle restraints and shuffling out of the courtroom. And God was using my son to teach us to pray in a whole different way. So, dear, what was going on then? Well, at this point in my life, I had, uh, well, I don't know, but, uh, been making bad decisions, so to speak, but trying to experience the world on the world's terms, um, uh, not necessarily fully running away from God, but experiencing what I had been limited to as being raised in the church. And it was kind of like a rubber band effect, so it took me way out into the world. Um, I was uh, pulled over on a traffic stop. I was in possession of cannabis, and I was arrested and taken to jail. Um, what my parents may or may not have known at that point was, by that time, I was already involved in a pretty uh, large crime and drug syndicate from Chicago to Detroit. And they were doing um, a narcotics investigation into those people, and had actually been following me, and had pictures and stuff. And, tried to shake me down and rush, rush me up through jail. And um, it was a fairly scary experience for me, definitely, uh, coming out. And so I came out, um, ended ties uh, with what I was involved with at that time. Um, and they had just started what was called a drug court, which was you could uh, have your um, charges reduced if you go through a program for recovery and education and things like that. And it was, it was new, so it was experimentary. Um, so uh, I was going through that, and it was very, very, very intense, uh, whereas the probation officers would show up at work or at school, because I was in college, to make sure I was attending classes or stuff. Very embarrassing to make sure I was at school, at class, at home. We're not supposed to be at home, um, things like that. And I'm not somebody who enjoys feeling trapped at all. And the punishments, from my opinion, was not worth what the crime was. And so I decided that, you know what? Done with this, done with the law. So I bought a bus ticket to New Orleans and I disappeared. And I took off and uh, I ran from the law, was uh, wanted in Indiana for almost seven years. Um, sometimes I lived under a fake identity and stuff. And, uh, um, ran back and forth from the Midwest to the West Coast and down south and um, for a few years before finally settling out in Oregon. Now at this point, my parents have no idea of what's going on. They have no idea where I am. I had touch base a couple times from pay phones with them uh, to just let them know that I'm alive. Um, and uh, it, it's, 
I'll let dad tell the side of the story of how to pray for someone. We have no idea yeah. <laughs> what's really going on or where they are. <laughs> yeah. And understand scripture is filled, filled, thankfully, with the ideas of the power and the promise and the possibility of prayer, but very little is said about unanswered prayer. And I know you're sitting there just like I stand here and I say, God, where are you in this? I'm not hearing from you. This prayer that is coming from the depths of my heart is not answered. There's an old adage that says God answers prayer in three ways, yes, no, or wait. But sometimes, sometimes we don't hear anything from God. Have you experienced that? Yeah. You just don't hear anything from God. Are you out there? Can you hear me? Have I done something wrong? God, where are you in all of this? And I've learned that praying is not telling God how to run his universe, nor my life. That's not what prayer is. <laughs> Rather, prayer is positioning myself in a posture of active dependence on him. Now certainly, I want to ask honestly, I want to ask fervently, I want to ask specifically when I pray all those kinds of things. I want to be consistent. I want to ask according to his will. I want to leave the answer to him. I want this to be about God, not about me. At the same time, I, don't, I need to be, I must be actively dependent on God. What does that mean? What does it mean to be actively dependent on God? Think of your child or another youngster as a birthday approaches uh, this afternoon. Uh, two of my granddaughters are here. Chloe and Vivian, and they will be celebrating their birthdays, right, at five and six years old. Marvelous stuff, right? But imagine a, a youngster, and she has something she really wants for her birthday, so she asks over and over again, hoping her parents get the hint that's not quite so subtle, right? Uh, can you get to me this for my birthday? But the parents had already bought the gift months before, already knowing that she wanted this thing, but waiting for the right time to give the daughter her gift. Makes sense? Yeah. You see, God already knows our needs. He knows our desires. He knows what he's going to do with this whole thing. But we have to wait for him because he's got the exact right time to allow it to happen. I think you get that. I think you get that. That's active dependence. We don't just say, oh, God, do this. There are times when I've got to continually pounding the gates of heaven, right? In that sense, he desires to answer our prayers offered in a humble spirit and dependence on him. And even when prayer is unanswered, we can hang our hat on these truths. God knows. God cares. He has not forgotten. He is not disinterested right? God is all-powerful. He alone rules over the details of our lives. This is truth. This is the truth. So keep praying. God is loving. He has not forgotten his child. And this reminds me that prayer is really pursuing a relationship with God himself. That's what prayer is, pursuing the relationship. We search for God in prayer, not an answer to prayer. When we search for God in prayer and we meet him, then we have the answer. So stop seeking the answer and seek God. Watch how that turns everything around then in the way that we pray. Now, as a new believer, there's often quick and dramatic and miraculous answers to prayer. 
as a new believer. As we get older and our faith matures, God teaches us about persevering in prayer. And sometimes we don't get that big miraculous boom thing dropping out of the sky. Sometimes there is silence. Sometimes there are months or even years before that answer comes. And that shows maturity. Prayer is the work of God's kingdom. And like a mustard seed, it starts small, but it grows steadily, steadily. Like the kingdom, our faith must grow steadily, steadily. And we need to kick out the props of needing the miracle all the time. Of needing the dramatic all the time. Our faith matures through confident praying. Even when miraculous and sudden answers to prayer can't be found. And we start living by faith and not by sight. Have you found that true in your life? The more you walk with God, oftentimes there are periods of extended silence. And we're not seeing the miraculous answer to prayer. Like we did when I, you know, you, you hear these accounts. Oh, yeah. I needed the $3,000 and the check was in my mailbox and you know, all that kind of stuff. He said, oh, what about me? I don't get that stuff. Huh? What about me? And God's trying to grow up our faith. We shouldn't need all of these kinds of things to keep us praying and believing that God is there and that he cares. Amen. Keep praying, would you? Keep praying. Even when it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere or nothing's happening. I found more answered prayer in my life certainly when I'm intentionally seeking humility and repentance and faith and obedience. And yet then, even when I'm in that posture, God does not answer. And I offer no explanation why. I just say this, God is still God. God is still God. And I said, Lord, would you teach me to pray? Teach me to hang in here. So Jer wrestles with God for many years, but then there were signs of life from an email. He wrote, a position opened up that will allow me to go to school full-time in the spring. Couldn't pass it up. I'm just requesting prayer for peace about my finances. I have a tendency to worry about money even though it's always provided. Love you all. But you know life is bittersweet, don't you? It doesn't always have a happy ending, does it? Twelve years ago, my then 32-year-old son emails and he says he's separating from his wife of seven years. His best friend, Doug, is dying. And his life is crashing. And so, Jer, what was going on then? Yeah. So, over the years, I end up getting married. And uh, things were going pretty well. Um, we had some rough spots and, you know, toward the end... Um, Separation was bad, like relationships tend to be. And uh, my wife at the time woke me up on a Saturday morning and said, I'm leaving you, I have an apartment, I'm moving out. This is very abrupt. No discussion previous of any of this. And as the previous statement, I was in school. <laughs> had an opportunity to go back to school. So I was in school full time at this point. Um, had to drop out, get a job and stuff. And three months after that, my best friend, who uh, was just very dear to my heart and um, Loved him so much, uh, tells me he's been diagnosed with stage four cancer. And he doesn't have any family around. And they had uh, set him up to put him into uh, government program and housing and things. I said, nah, I'm not going to let you do that. So rented a house and uh, took care of him to his last breath in our living room. And that's a lot of trauma to go through. I mean, in anybody's life. And it just stacked up and stacked up and stacked up. And I had a 
very caring and loving uh, support of friends. But we were all so young, bless their hearts, but it wasn't the best advice that they were giving me, which was more escapism <laughs> through drugs and alcohol. Um, which, of course, will work for a while. You can numb out for a while, and, and uh, it'll, it'll take care of stuff, but it doesn't really fix anything. And so that, after this point in my life was when a lot of the severity of depression really started, began and started to, to uh, set into my life um, moving forward from there. Yeah. Yeah, and so that had a real impact on Cindy and me, uh, obviously. Uh, we sensed his pain and struggles. But we didn't know how to pray. And Jerry would go months and months and months without ever letting us know he was even alive. And his mother agonized, we agonized. We knew he was struggling, but we didn't know how to pray. But have you ever been in that situation when you have a nudging from the Holy Spirit to pray? And you don't know why, and you don't know exactly what for, but you just know you're supposed to pray. And we would often have that, in the, even though we were separated by many miles and sometimes months of silence. And while we didn't fully know the situation, we were still prompted to pray. Just pray. And sometimes it happens at three in the morning. Sometimes it happens, you know, just in the most awkward moment. And the Holy Spirit speaking said, pray, pray now. It can be tough to pray into the unknown, not knowing what's going on, right? Have you experienced that situation? You just don't know the details, and God doesn't want you to know the details, but he wants you to pray. And those are difficult kinds of prayers. I'd like to know how to pray, what's really going on, but we don't. And so the last one here becomes the persistent prayer. If we had a bit more time, we'd look at Luke 18, uh, in, in which we are called to just keep on praying and wear God out, and he's finally going to answer us by our persistent praying, right? But life was hard. Life was hard. Jer was distant, but God was faithful. Now, Jer is a spiritual person. I've known that. We've known that, who has sought hard after God. But now... Now, as we fast forward more years, he's covered with labels. He's bipolar. He's mentally ill. He's an addict. He's this. He's that. And Cindy and I enlisted others to pray for him. And at times, it made things worse than ever. So, Jer, uh, tell us what happened here at this point in your life. Okay, so we're in the we're in the downward spiral. We're we're in the real the real midst of it. Um, uh, at this point, I'm not working. I sell drugs for a living, um, and I have a family vacation coming up. And go down to California and see my brother. Everybody's coming out from the Midwest, um, so I made plans to go down and see my family. Um, and I was in a lot of just, you know, so much emotional pain, uh, turmoil that is very hard for me to carry, to deal with it even on a daily basis, to even try to face myself. Um, so I'm pretty numbed out. And um, there's so much context um, to this story that I can't go into. I'll be around after the service if anybody has any questions. But I'm going to sum it up. And basically, uh, um, I was 
heading back to town from being um, out at a very large campground celebration. At this point, I'm already two days late for a family vacation, and it's just like, oh, I couldn't make it. And uh, I ended up uh, getting into some arguments um, with very close people to me at that campground celebration that just devastated and just broke me. And um, so I took off, you know, it's three or four o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm driving back to the city and, you know, in retrospect, after processing everything, it was more like a suicide attempt of what I did. And I drove my Jeep off of an incline and totaled the Jeep, smashed it up. Um, I was resuscitated in the back of an ambulance um, and just denied treatment. It's hard for me to remember some of the stuff. Uh, the police didn't even process me. They just took me back to town and, and released me with a ticket for a DUI and uh, called some friends and I was picked up. Um, and uh, It was tough. The toughest thing is the shame of my family, you know. I mean, the reason you're distanced when you're in these points is, you know, my dad's a pastor. I don't know what I'm going to tell him about my daily life and my ins and outs of hustling. Not, not too much. Um, so uh, it still takes me a day or two, but I'm like, I got to tell him what's going on and, you know, just let him know that I'm alive because now everybody's there and they're all, you know, having a good time and nobody's heard from me. Nobody knows what's going on. So I told him, yeah, you know, I'd gotten a DUI and uh, was not going to be, not going to be coming down at that point. Um, and uh, it just forced into a, a next stage of my life, which was even more difficult and difficult and difficult. But uh, we'll, we'll continue to move on on the prayer side of things here. Okay, good. Answers were elusive. Uh, often prayer was all we had because I couldn't figure out what to do in this situation. And discovering that prayer is a work in progress. And we saw answers of prayer. And Jir was now at a point of, of being totally broken. And so he makes this decision to move back to Wisconsin. Uh, the life in Oregon, 20 years worth, uh, he needs to come home. And he gets that. And so Jared talked to us about moving back and what's happened in more recent years. Yeah, so um, it was uh, five years after the DUI decided to come back to Wisconsin. I wanted to reconnect with family. Things were going too well for me out in Oregon at that point. Um, and uh, so I decided to leave and leave all of my good friends that I've had out there um, and come back. And, you know, uh, new start, new page, you know, whatever you tell yourself in these instances to move forward in your life. And it's, Let's go do that. Okay. So I moved back here right, right before COVID hit and pandemic hit and I am new to the area. I live in Fitchburg. I don't know anybody and it forced on me a full mental breakdown. And of course my typical escape being alcohol, um, just went back to the knee jerk reaction of like, let's go numb out. So over the course of uh, the year of the pandemic, um, I almost drank myself to death. Had uh, liver was swollen up, pre-cirrhosis. 
Um, and at this point, I knew I needed help because I was just, I kind of woke up one day and I'm like, oh man, I'm psychologically addicted to this stuff. And time goes on and I wake up, I'm physically addicted to this stuff. What's going on? Where did I slip up here? Okay, I got to go. <laughs> I need help. And uh, checked myself in and uh, went to Meritor and was in Meritor for a while. Um, being diagnosed um, and detoxing and released into mental health and um, uh, recovery care for what I had been going through, um, which was a very, very positive thing. Uh, but, you know, it's, I can only imagine how, it, how it, it weighed, especially on my parents and family watching me drink myself, you know, to death and being helpless now that I'm even closer, <laughs> geographically speaking. But, <laughs> you know, they're just watching me just completely fall in, fall apart into, into, into the abyss, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it's now 40 years that we've been praying for my son. And finding God to be faithful and yet wondering why. Why my heart broken at times and, and yet the truth now is that although answers were elusive, prayer was often all that we had in those moments. And my son is a work in progress, just like I'm a work in progress. And I'm grateful to God for those who have prayed and have been praying for my son because he stands before you today as, as an answer to prayer. And I trust an encouragement to you because this represents all of us. This is me. This is you. This is us. And now Jira's 44 years old. He's got a job that he loves. He's talking about going back to school. He's talking about different kinds of things. He's dreaming again and, and what joy that brings to my, to my heart, my parents' heart. Uh, and dear, what, what does the future look like for you now? You, you've, this guy <laughs> loves the Bible. He digs deep into theology. He's been going back to church. He's looking for connection uh, back into the body of Christ, uh, for which I'm very grateful because we all need that encouragement and support. But, but what do you see ahead coming, Jer? Um, yeah, so let's, uh, let's go back and tell some answers to some of these prayers. Yeah. Uh, so the unanswered prayer, getting busted when I was 19 um, and running away and being wanted by the law. Well, years go by. And it turns out that the judge was corrupt. So all the cases underneath the judge, all the charges got dropped across the board. Because I had fled, I had to go back to Indiana and turn myself in and actually go through a court proceeding uh, to, to make it official, um, which was a very nervous experience for me because I go, <laughs> go into court. Here's the judge sitting there. Here's you know, my probation officers, counselors, 
all these people who had really let me down overall in the big picture things, but you know, all the people who had you know, sentenced and threatened me along the way of, you know, you're going to jail for 20 years, we're going to lock you up, you know, and, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and seeing them, I was like, uh-oh, what's going to happen? <laughs> but uh, yeah, by the grace of God, uh, I uh, was released from, from that and jail time. Um, the, uh, you know, the answer to prayer coming out of a, a divorce and death and, and um, things like that is more, I would say, a resilience in character from the grace of God and, and the peace of God that was working inside of my life. Um, it, uh, it, it forces you to grow as a person immensely, very, very quickly. And, um, you know, at this point, um, I grew spiritually and emotionally within bounds. Um, uh, being able to help other people through those experiences, and that's kind of like the outcome that I could see of that, is being able to um, be a friend and a counselor to uh, people who are going through death and divorce, uh, friends around me, as that's the course of life. Um, we get to the, the DUI, and that was, um, that was a, a, a waking point to where I finally turned to professional help and started to get therapy and work through the issues of childhood, from childhood stuff all the way up through uh, the divorce and my best friend dying. And, and uh, that, that helped out a lot, like immensely. Got put on some medication for mental health issues, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and that was great. I mean, it made my quality of life so much better. Um, you know, I, I went uh, completely sober for a year and a half and got back into shape and stuff. And, you know, it was, it was good. And then, uh, you know, still suffering, though, with mental health issues, coming back and going through the COVID pandemic experience. Um, and coming out of that and really being labeled uh, bipolar, anxiety, et cetera, and and having to deal with being fairly heavily medicated to where I was on five medications for anxiety, a bipolar, and a depression medication. Um, going through that, and then going through some pretty in, a year of some pretty intense counseling and working through more issues and more things, you know, and now I'm on zero medication for any mental health issues, by the grace of God. Um, I can approach all issues of life, problems, and situations at much at peace without having to escape or run or turn away um, from these issues uh, and know that the strength of the Lord is, is with me and the, um, as he has always been with me. And uh, you know, this is, uh, I'm a fighter, but he's, he's the one that gives me the strength to keep, to keep progressing through this life and, and uh, keep hammering it out and uh, developing <coughs> and growing in faith. So what would you say, Jared, to some folk here who have been praying for someone for a while? Well, um, so I'll put um, my understanding of prayer when there definitely are answers or you're, you're in a dark time. And it's, uh, it, it takes a lot of practice and exercising. <laughs> it does. I mean, you feel so lost, so just 
like let down like are you there what is going on what is happening you know why this that and the other and and so uh i've learned that i have to completely surrender the issue over to the hands of god ultimately completely surrender it to him that's tough for any human being to give anything up like that to take this emotional feeling to take these worries and really push them to the cross and take it away from you and then after surrendering, having the amount of faith that brings you the grace that knowing that this has already been done, whatever the outcome is, it's already been done in his eyes. He knows what's going to happen. And it's not going to come in your time, and it might not be the result that you're looking for, but it's all in a grand design. And leaning on that and praying towards that and being persistent in those moments through surrender and faith. Even if the answer comes or doesn't come, I find peace and grace in those moments and just remembering that it is all in his design. Amen, that's good, that's good. Come on over to, we're a work in progress, aren't we? Of course. We're learning to pray. I have a hunger to know God. Jer has a hunger to know God. And my precious son, Jeremiah, I'm sure will continue to teach me to depend on God and him alone. Others of you have been my prayer instructor as I've watched you wrestle with situations in your life. Thank you for that. I can't wait to see what's next.